beautiful, hot, and sunny Florida day. My name is Pastor Lisa. Pastor Rafe is taking a much-deserved day off. So let's stand together and worship the Lord with song and gladness.
conversation with our Lord. Let's take a moment just to breathe and to reflect upon the events of the week and the month and the, the recent past and all that is going on in our world that brings us to our knees. And with that on our heart and those that we bring to God in prayer today, let's take a moment just to breathe and to rest at the foot of Jesus and let him hold us in his arms for this moment. Dear Lord, we come today acknowledging that we know the identity of your son. We know the characters of you from the Old Testament and the prophets that told us about Jesus, and we know who he is. The Old Testament's prophets called him Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. We simply call him Jesus and Lord. You sent him down through 42 generations so that we might be saved. You thought about us before we were even a sparkle in our mother's eye, and you made a way for us before we knew we needed a way. For these, way, these things, we thank you. We thank you for the blessing of knowing that we have never been alone and that you have always been with us. We are not ashamed of Jesus. He is our Redeemer, our Savior, and our Lord. And we will continue to spread the gospel, to share the love of Christ throughout the world so that all that we meet, all those that we may see, and all those that we may come in contact with, either physically or digitally or just by ways of our action, that they may know the grace and love that you have bestowed upon the world. That they may know the hope that is found in your presence, that they may know that you are real. That it makes a difference in our lives to know that Jesus came and died for our sins. That Jesus goes with us everywhere that we go and that the extravagant love and grace that is bestowed upon each of us and all of those blessings is because of Christ. We pray that you would give us strength to stand amongst the cruel world and not be of this world, although we are in this world. Fill our cups, O oh Lord, as we continue to run this race, that we may run this race for the, the beauty and the grace of your kingdom. Hear us, Father, as we pray to you together as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.
it's so exciting. This is the time we talk about the missions of the church and we celebrate a mission. And today we get to celebrate an amazing mission of the church, which is the church. Good Lordy, we're turning 40. Can you believe that? Like, amazing. So here's what's coming. If you are digitally or here, you might want to start taking notes, pull out a device, because lots is getting ready to happen. So September 25th and 26th is a big party. We are going to celebrate turning 40 and pull out all the stops. So here's what that looks like for New Horizon. We are a mission-driven church, right? There's so many missions, and we tell you every day and every time we put anything out in print, there's so many things you can become involved in. Choose what works with your heart and give and serve there. So on the 25th, we're going to celebrate all of those ways that you can give and serve within the church. All of the missions, they're all going to be represented. There's going to be a mission fair in the parking lot. There's going to be food and fun. Food trucks will be here, bounce houses, obstacle course, family event, and there's going to be a food drive. So let me tell you about this food drive. So you know I may be the queen of food. I play grocery store every day, and it is so much fun um, through Nourishing Lives. Well, one of the ways that we can help is by helping feed families. So Carrie came up with this great idea to do a 4,000-pound food drive. 4,000 pounds! Can you imagine what 4,000 pounds looks like? No, no you can't. But I can, so I'm going to tell you about 4,000 pounds. So 4,000 pounds of spaghetti sauce would help us feed families for 13 weeks. You would think longer, right? But 13 weeks. 4,000 pounds of peanut butter, and we use a lot of peanut butter, about 500 to 600 pounds a week. So 4,000 pounds of peanut butter would last about 10 weeks. 4,000 pounds of rice? That's a whole lot of rice, you might say. Seven weeks worth only. 4,000 pounds of pasta? Also seven weeks. 4,000 pounds of tuna? Seems like a lot with these little cans. 10 weeks. So 4,000 pounds a food total would full fill the bellies of our families and our children. Are you ready? Can you guess how many weeks? Can you guess? Anybody? Two. 4,000 pounds of food feeds the families and the children because we've started sending food to children in schools. We're back to our Pack-A-Sack program along with our Nourishing Lives family meals. Two weeks. So we're asking, as part of this big, oh lordy, New Horizon is 40 celebration, to raise 4,000 pounds of food. And there's a great video on YouTube. Please go check it out. There is a list that's going to be out, and there's a list everywhere. But basically, you saw a bunch of stuff. Peanut butter, rice, pasta, ramen, sauce, chili, beans. I should have come up with a better wrap, but that's what we got so far. Here's what happens next. So Saturday is a great day, but then it continues. The party's not over until Sunday, and then we have a party on Sunday, and we have one worship service, 10 a.m., and we are going to blow out this place. 
We're going to have so much fun online and here and live streaming and everywhere because we're going to get to hear from our founding pastor. We're going to get to meet some pastors of the past. We're going to celebrate our missions and continue on that day. And it's just going to be a day of celebrating the mission and ministry of New Horizon for 40 years in this community in Southwest Ranches, Florida. So I hope you'll mark your calendars. I did forget to tell you one other thing. We have a blood drive that weekend, too. We have so much. So check it out. There's this cool little thing flying around. It's in, it's, for those of you here, you have it. For those of you online, it is available online. There's an event. Sign up. Let people know you're coming. Share the post. This is something worth coming to. This is something worth praying about. This is something worth tuning in for. Amen? Hard to top all that energy, right? <laughs> Man, I feel like I need to like hop up and down or something. Um, so I don't know. Did did you remember to tell them what time? So she did not see that. Nice. Um, so we are going to have one service at ten o'clock. It will be live streamed and in person. So feel free to come. But mark in your calendars. Don't show up at nine o'clock, or what's going to happen? Nothing. Nothing. We're going to put you to work, maybe packing food or something. Um, but there will be no service, no sermon. I know you're desperate to hear the sermon, right? Um, so 10 o'clock, live stream and in person. So our scripture this morning is Mark. is one of my favorite pieces of scripture because every time I read it, I hear something different. And we've talked about this before. When you read scripture, the Holy Spirit speaks to you the way the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And um, there was a line from Eat, Pray, Love where the, the spiritual guide talks about um, your thoughts being monkeys jumping from tree to tree. <clears throat> now you know what it looks like inside here. My thoughts are like monkeys jumping from tree to tree. And every time I, I see this scripture, there's more pieces I want to pull out and tell you. And to try to sort of narrow down those pieces so that you don't leave here thinking like, man, monkeys are jumping in my head. Um, I tried to narrow it down. I don't know that I succeeded. But you'll tell me at the end, survey says, did she win or not, right? So this is a passage where um, Jesus and his disciples have just done, done a lot of cool things. Jesus and his disciples went into the villages near Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say I am? And they told him, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others the prophets. And then he asked them, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter answers, you are the Christ. Jesus ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then Jesus began to teach his disciples. The human one must suffer many things and be rejected by the, the elders, the chief priests, and the legal experts and be killed. And then after three days, rise from the dead. He said this plainly. But Peter took hold of Jesus and scolding him, began to correct him. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples and then sternly corrected Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. After calling the crowd together with his disciples, Jesus said to them, all who want to come after me, they must say no 
they must say no to themselves. They must take up their cross and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me and because of the good news will save them. Why would people gain the whole world but lose their lives? What will people give in exchange for their lives? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this unfaithful and sinful generation, the human one be, will be ashamed of that person when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. Father God, we come before you this morning hoping to hear a word, hoping to, to hear a word that's relevant for us today, that helps to show us where we need to be to be your follower where we need to be to be in God's kingdom glory. We ask that you bless our hearing and our understanding of this holy word this morning. Amen. So survey says, right? Um, Jesus takes a poll. You know, what's the buzz on the street? What are they saying? Um, you've heard that, that game show, Family Feud, probably, right? It's been around forever. It's one of my favorites. They ask competing teams to kind of name the top answers on their board, and every time you get one wrong, it's a strike, and when you get one right, you get points. Um, so they might say, like, what's your favorite breakfast cereal? And everyone kind of yells out their answers, and they get together and choose one, and they hope to get the most chosen answer so that they get the top points and they win the big bucks, right? But the funny part of this is when they get the question not quite right. So when they mishear it or... Um, or they don't process quickly enough. So sometimes you'll hear somebody say something to you and you kind of jump in with the answer and then when they finish their sentence, you go, ooh, that didn't match, right? Um, so instead of Frosted Flakes, a, a contestant might say their favorite breakfast cereal is bacon. You know, and, well, bacon makes everything better. You have to admit, it's not really breakfast cereal, right? But that's where it gets funny. And this passage kind of reminds me of that show as I wrote it. Um, notice Jesus first asked the disciples, who do they say I am? It reminds me of kind of like when you get a new boss um, and everyone kind of says, okay, he was in your division before. What was he like? What did he do? You want to get all the dirt. You want to get all the gossip. Um, I want to be prepared for when, for when that boss comes over to my side. I want to get a read on them. So who do they say he is? Well, just in this chapter of Mark, it's recorded that Jesus fed the multitudes by picking some scraps of bread and fish again. He had done it before. So obviously he's some kind of miracle worker, right? He, he's just trying to keep people fed. Perhaps that's all. And then he heals a blind man by spitting on his eyes. Gross. <laughs> and then laying his hands. So clearly he's a healer. That's what heals throughout the Bible, right? And then he faces the And he teaches them a lesson and the crowds and the disciples a lesson what contaminates people. So rabbi, teacher, is this. Then he was again for a child. Now you go to see her. So clearly, um, 
the disciples come up with all the gossip from the, the crowd that they've heard, and they start with, you know, John the Baptist. Strike one. No, wait. Um, the miracles. He must be Elijah. Strike two. Oh, I know. He's one of the prophets. Strike three. You're out. They express all the other opinions first. But then Jesus presses them. He presses them for their own answer. So when you meet that boss for the first time, you're supposed to form your own opinion, right? Your own answer. So he says, who do you say I am? And of course, Peter is the spokesman. Does he answer you're the Christ because that's really what he believes and he understands it completely? Does he, does he answer that because he knows that that's what Jesus is looking for? Kind of like when your kids give you the A answer, even though you know they are not listening to you and don't believe a word of it, right? Um, what about the others? Do they believe it? Are they just going along with what Peter says? There's a song that came out a while ago um, by Nicole Nordeman, and I won't sing it to you, I promise. Um, and I won't share all the lyrics, but I will share some. It was one of those songs that really helped, especially t my teenage daughter, process Jesus. And it, it says, what if you're right and he's just another nice guy? What if it's true and the cross will only make a fool of you? What if he takes his place in history with all the prophets and the kings who taught us to love and came in peace, but then the story ends? What if that's all there is? And then it goes on to say, but what if you're wrong? What if there's more than that? What if there's hope? Hope that you never dreamed for. Um, you know, you pick apart the logic and you poke holes. And the crown of thorns is no more than folklore. But what if he's more than enough? What if he's love? What if you jump and just close your eyes and the arms that catch you are by surprise? And what if he's more than enough? What if it's love? Jesus is more than just these labels they've given him, right? So who do you say Jesus is at this point, right? And Jesus isn't quite ready for them to, have, have to be sharing the news. Does he realize it's because they don't really understand it entirely? And if they share at this point, it's just going to cause you know, more of a violent uproar in a community that's already a, a boiling kettle. Perhaps he's waiting for them to understand better. Jesus goes on to tell them exactly what to expect of him. And Peter, here we go with impulsive Peter again. He always seems to be the one disciple that just jumps into the thick of things. He's just admitted on behalf of the disciples in the passage before that Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. But by the way Jesus tells him not to share with anyone, we get the sense that Peter doesn't really fully understand. That he is Messiah is established in the verses before this. But now Jesus has to get them to understand what kind of Messiah and what does he expect from them as followers. You know, are they expecting a military leader to overthrow the government? He's telling them, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And it's really hard for them to comprehend. Look at Peter's response, right? It's really bold. 
um, he's kind of bossy. Um, it, it almost seems like he's treating Jesus like a child who's misbehaving. Peter responds to Jesus by scolding him. Can you imagine scolding Jesus? But is it because Peter's worrying about his friend? You know, does he not, you know, you hear your friend wants to suffer and your first response is, I don't want you to suffer. That can't be right. Does Peter grab him and argue because he doesn't want this to happen to him? Or maybe he thinks Jesus is making no sense because this can't be right. Is it because Peter wants nothing to do with this kind of discipleship? Wait, you want me to what? Is it because, um, one source I read, is it because Peter thinks that Jesus is insane or possessed by a demon in need of exorcism? Mark um, says that he took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Rebuke is strong language. It's, it's used to, to silence demons. They're fighting words. You know, the language of silencing demons. And as violent as it sounds, but that's the vocabulary of discipleship. Jesus responds by rebuking Peter. Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. I've told this story before, but every time I read this passage, it pops in my head. Um, we had a new pastor starting. And like I said, you're trying to figure out the new guy. Well, I knew the new guy loved baseball. And I happened to have season tickets at the time. So I thought, okay, I had, at the time, we had a Saturday and a Sunday service. And I thought, okay, I have Saturday night tickets for a few weeks out. I'm going to bring these in to this new pastor. And I'm going to be, you know, the good girl who gets the gold star. And so I bring them in and I hand them to him. I say, hey, I knew you liked baseball. I really just wanted to have you to have these. And we're in the middle of the office. And Ann is sitting there and Fran and all the staff. And he turns and looks at me and he says, get behind me, Satan. And I'm thinking, okay. I've never really been called Satan before. It's bound to happen again. But what do you say to that, right? And so that's what I said to him. I said, gee, I've never been called Satan before. We did become friends. He had a sense of humor. But it reminds us in this passage that Jesus is human. We get that glimpse of his humanity. You know, is he saying, get behind me, Satan, because he doesn't want to be tempted? Because he knows that he has a divine path. But he doesn't want to take the human path that has to get him there with all the suffering, right? He, he wastes no time in telling Peter no. Um, Peter is charging, as usual, in the wrong direction. He, he's traveling toward the earthly grandeur and splendor and kingdomness. And that's not where Jesus is going. Um, and we saw that, remember, in the garden when he prays. He says, take this cup from me. And then says, but, but not my will yours. So we see that struggle for him between knowing what he's supposed to be doing and not wanting to have those very human um, suffering and consequences. But for all that, that Peter says, it seems to kind of shore up Jesus' resolve. He calls together the crowds and his disciples, and he says, follow me, take up your cross. So it's an active decision to follow Jesus. The crowds and the disciples are not just passive victims. It's an active decision for us. They have to make the choice. We have to make the choice. And Jesus makes it clear that it includes the possibility of suffering. He also makes it clear that it requires action. 
Jesus, at this point, is no, wor- no longer worried about keeping silent about who he is. He's the Messiah. And he draws them together to discuss openly what it means and what the cost is. He wants them to be a part of it. Do you still want to be a part of it? He offers them an invitation again. Here's a fresh chance to make a choice, but an informed choice. Do they understand the choice? Maybe do we? You know, it's a choice that's offered. Peter and the others must be asked again, but note the invitation is to the whole multitude who might hear. It's not specifically at his disciples. Follow me. Jesus says this over and over again in Mark. Mark is a very active writer. And then they did, and then they did, and then they did. And he says, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. He only says, believe in me twice. It's an active word, follow me. Jesus calls the disciples and us to action. And belief is all well and good, but the power is in the following. It's in the actively trying to go where Jesus taught them to go. And while we kind of see the cross as this symbolic, I, I have my pretty little you know, gold cross, right? We see this symbol, and it's beautiful, and it means hope to us. But the disciples knew what it meant. Taking out the cross had a dark and literal meaning for them. They knew all too well what crucifixion was and what it entailed. They took it at face value. A completely shocking idea that this is where the Messiah comes from. We can't mature into the loving and sacrificial people that God wants us to be if we avoid suffering at all costs. I found a story that talked about um, a little boy and um, he and his mom are talking about the school's policy and the boy tells her that he's one of three who were tasked with making sure they're securely barricaded um, in case of an event at the school. Essentially putting him between any gunmen and the students. And the mom, in her mind, goes to the fact that he's one of only two students of color. And so she stops herself before she continues the conversation and takes a breath. And then she says, why were you chosen? And the boy says, I wasn't. I volunteered. I would rather face dying to protect my friends than to make any other choice. It's an awful conversation you have to have. But that's what selflessness looks like. Following requires self-giving and sacrifice. It's necessary for us to show love for others, taking action in the way that Jesus does. But we don't like to be uncomfortable. I should speak for myself. I don't like to be uncomfortable. Um, Standing up here in front of you was not comfortable for me. It took me time to learn how to do this and to get comfortable. I did not think this is what I was called to do. But God told me otherwise. Yeah, it is. Sorry, kiddo. (laughs) Get over yourself and get up there. Um, Following Jesus means suffering and death to our own egos, to our pride, to all those things that stand between us and God and who he calls us to be. I'm a follower who learns from Christ. And right from the very beginning of his ministry, he tells us where we need to be. You know, remember him reading from the book of Isaiah and Luke. 
The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. The Lord has anointed you. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That call is to all of you. It is a priesthood of all believers. It's not just those of us who stand up here. You are anointed. You have a call. You have a mission. And you have to choose how you're going to act to be followers of Jesus and not just believe, act. This is where we go. Um, we're not comfortable in our own little protected world, but we're out in the world that needs to see the love of Jesus in action. It requires us to step beyond our boundaries, right, out of our little comfort zones. It's healing, it's setting the captives free, it's helping the poor overcome their circumstances, it's fighting oppression, it's feeding people, it's standing up to hatred and prejudice. Paul tells us in Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You know, I know we're not all called to be Mother Teresa or some big giant of the faith. We follow Christ in the space that we've been given. We learn who we are by discovering who Jesus is for us. And we discover that following Jesus means obedience to the will of God. And we pause to listen to where God calls us to serve. We measure by divine standards, not human measure. So what is your answer? Survey says, you know, who do you say Christ is? Who are you as his follower? What action are you taking? to be out in a world that so desperately needs that A answer, right? Lord, we enter into the stillness of prayer and gaze at the days stretching before us, leading us to the glory and hope and promise of new life. As the days stretch, let us give our time to those in need of an encouraging visit or to a child in need of engaging play. And then, Lord, stretch us to give us more as we listen to one whose grief wears heavy. Let us give of our talents during and volunteering to serve where our talents and need are needed into a church in our community. And then, Lord, stretch us to share our talent with a young person who wants to learn. Let us give of our gifts, acknowledging our abilities honestly and sharing them with those who need what we have to offer. And then, Lord, stretch us. Stretch us to be silent and still and discover new gifts and new ways of sharing. Open our eyes to the needs of those who live near to us and those who live across the seas. And then open our hearts to feel the pain of need. And then let us open our wallets to ease the discomfort of poverty, poverty of life, poverty of spirit. And then, Lord, stretch us. Stretch us to do more. Stretch us until we feel the twinge of pain which allows us to fully feel the joy of giving. Such are the tasks of your followers, stretched out on our own cross, so that we might know the joy of new life that you have promised. So let us live and let us give through Christ our Lord. Amen.
one of the ways that we share our gifts is by offering God's tithes and our offerings. And that might be cash. That might be food. That might be prayer. That might be your time. There are so many different ways that you can respond to God's word. But please respond to God's word. That's how you'll grow. That's how you'll learn who he is for you. Amen. in all that you do and know that you are never alone. Go and do. Amen? <laughs>